0: Ladies and gentlemen, Banal of America Audio, with your host, Tim Banal. What is going on, America and the world? This is Tim Banal, BenallofAmerica.com, Banal of America Audio, Season 1. We continue this week, October 8th, 2005, Robert Miles. Those of you who were part of the X Conference sessions, if you've heard them already, you know Robert Miles. He guested on the July 9th edition of Benal of America Audio X Conference sessions. Unfortunately, we uh, conducted that interview at the National Press Club right before the X Conference press conference, so Robert only had about five minutes of time. So when we put together Been All of America Audio Season One, we tracked down Robert Miles to get much more time. Instead of five minutes, we're doing an hour and fifteen. We're covering his entire experience. ...and his work since then, and his upcoming film. The interview was recorded July 29th, 2005. I do the lengthy bio and all that jazz in the actual interview for a change. So, so let's rock and roll. Banal of America Audio Season 1 continues with Robert Miles.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Banal of America Audio, and I want to
0: welcome my special guest this week, Robert
1: Miles... For those of you who listen to Banal of America Audio, the X Conference sessions, you're familiar with Robert Miles, not only from his brief interview that we conducted before the X Conference press conference, but also he was a part of the historic Monsignor Corrado Balducci interview we conducted. And here's a little bit about Robert Miles before we kick it off here. He's a television and motion picture writer-producer with 30 years' experience. He's written and published numerous articles and nonfiction stories. He's an avid adventurer. He designed and built four sailing vessels, cruised to Hawaii, Baja, Mexico, and Honduras. And he had an experience in the early 1970s with an extraterrestrial encounter that is remarkable. And I'd say it probably changed his life forever. And uh, Robert Miles, welcome to Banal of America Audio, and I'm glad we finally have this chance to have a lengthier conversation.
2: Hey, thank you very much for uh, having the interview, Tim, and I'm looking forward to talking to you and to... Uh, all those individuals that uh, take advantage of your website and your downloads.
1: Nice, nice. So why don't you tell me a little bit about your life before the whole encounter in the early 70s?
2: Well, I was uh, actually living in um, the area of Portland, Oregon, and uh, I was a life insurance salesman selling death, basically. And it had uh, reached a point in my life where I I just wanted something more, so I sold my property and I began to get involved in boats and sailing vessels. Ended up uh, building a 47-foot trimaran, which was a very advanced vessel uh, for its time, which would be the late, uh, about 1967, 68. It's a three-hulled sailing vessel and it's capable of ocean crossing and cruising. So uh, myself and my partner, um, spent a couple of years building this vessel, and then we sailed from Portland, Oregon, um, uh, didn't know how to navigate, didn't know how to sail, <laughs> but we taught ourselves those things, and we sailed down the uh, Oregon coast and down to California and then on over to Hawaii, which was a voyage of uh, 2,400 miles. Um, after living on the boat for a couple of years in the islands, um, my life reached a point where it just seemed like there ought to be more to life. That there ought to be uh something uh, that went beyond just the day to day partying and uh you know we had the idyllic life we had a vessel that we lived aboard that was totally self contained and for as little as fifty cents a day, which basically paid our propane we could we could surf and we could party and we could uh skin dive and wow. do all the things that people do in the islands and uh After a a couple of years of that, I I reached the point where I knew I wanted to do something more with my life, and uh, I decided to sell the boat, and with my partner's agreement, uh, put in that in the paper, and we sold it to a fellow there, and he was coming uh, one morning to take delivery of the vessel, and I knew my life was changing, and I had set the alarm clock for very early, about about 4.30, And uh, although I woke up without it and on my boat I had a large uh, double bunk with a skylight over the bunk and so I got up and I made myself some coffee and I took a cup of coffee back to my bunk and I was laying on my bunk lurking through the skylight just kind of enjoying the beautiful uh, sunrise and morning there. And this was at Alawai Yacht Harbor in Honolulu, Hawaii, where my boat was moored at the time. And all of a sudden, the most incredible feeling of energy just completely enveloped me. And uh, I knew instantly that that something unbelievable was happening. And at first, I thought I was dreaming because this beautiful woman materialized in the stateroom right next to me uh, where I was laying on the bed. And she she was gorgeous. She was uh, totally human-looking. Except that our energy field and the energy field that radiated during this entire time was just, just incredible. And the only thing I can liken it to is, uh, like a person knows what 110 feels like if they stick a their finger in their socket. Well this was like, uh, 220 or 440 except it was, uh, it was just, uh, exotic feeling. It just was the most pleasant, wonderful sensation that I've ever experienced in my entire life. And of course, I, I thought I was dreaming. And I, and I said out loud, I said, I must, I must be dreaming. And she said, no, you're not. And I said, but this can't be happening. This, this just can't be real. Now, and she said,
1: well, it is. What did you think And you just thought you were dreaming at the time? Oh,
2: absolutely, I thought I was dreaming or hallucinating. I was wide awake and fully clothed, and, and uh, but uh, she was she was there, and she told me she said, "You know, touch me, you know, feel my body. You're uh, this is really happening." And, and I said, "Well, who are you?" And she said, "Well, we're friends, and we want you to come to a briefing, and we want you to uh, be part of, a, of an undertaking that's happening here on planet Earth." And uh, I, I said, well, you know, definitely. And pe- people have asked me, they've they asked, were you abducted? And I said, absolutely not. I went totally willingly. And uh, she told me to uh, that I would take a trip to New York, and there I would board a, a saucer or spacecraft. And from there I would go to a briefing on another planet. And uh, she said, just, just close your eyes and decide you're there. And I said, I can't do that. And she said, yes, you can, we'll help you. And uh, so I did, and the next uh, instant, I was in LaGuardia Airport in New York City. And there I boarded a a saucer. At the time, I I didn't uh, know what kind of a craft it was. I I went aboard. It was a large docking area that was there. I went aboard, and there were some other... uh, people that were aboard the craft and when the craft took off I actually looked out through uh, like a porthole like window and I could see the earth moving away from me at a very very rapid rate it was a beautiful feeling and uh, the trip uh, was actually to the planet Jupiter and I know that it sounds incredibly uh, uh, fantastic and, and not possible but what I think it was Tim was I think I was aboard like a an interdimensional craft, because yeah. uh, when I spoke with them about it, uh, and I landed, I like could say in about twenty minutes, and departed. Uh, and as I walked down the ramp area, I looked back, and it was a, it was a saucer-shaped craft, disc shape, that uh, is like you would you'd see in a lot of the films in the movies, and it was probably a hundred and fifty feet in diameter, quite a large craft. Wow! And. Uh, What I said is, how can this be happening? And I still couldn't believe it. And all around me, when I was on on the planet Jupiter, there was this incredible sense of this energy, and she was there to meet me. And she actually acted as kind of like my tour guide, if you want to call it that. Uh, As Robert Dean said, uh, they gave you the twenty-nine-cent tour, you know. What's that? Um, uh, well, when I was talked with Bob Dean about the experience,
3: yeah, he
2: said, "Well, they gave you the twenty-nine cent <laughs> They took you to Jupiter, you know." <laughs> so uh, there's, um, there's there was just just the whole sky uh, and the whole uh, the whole area of the planet that I was on was in vibrating with this incredible uh, luminescence and energy, and the sky was beautiful pinks and blue, and had the most incredible iridescence to it that, that you can possibly imagine. And it's, uh, it's an experience that totally changed my life. While I was there, they briefed me on uh, some of the things that were possibly going to happen to the planet Earth in the years ahead. And I agreed to take on a mission and to help bring um, information and to help assist in making sure that the planet... Uh, didn't have to go through all that chaos and catastrophe that uh, seemed to be uh, looming in its path. And uh, I was there uh, what seemed to be maybe eight or ten hours, but
0: I actually went out on the,
2: on the uh, area that was like a beach there, and there was like a liquid sea, although the it wasn't water. It was more kind of a luminous, uh, metallic-looking uh, liquid, but people were swimming and things. And again, I, I spoke with the with the lady, and she said, uh, it is happening, and it is real, and you're not dreaming or hallucinating. And uh, then she said, there's someone back aboard your boat that, that wants you. Just decide that you're there, and you'll be there. And I did, and I was. Huh. And when I got back to the boat, uh, only about 33 minutes had passed. But it seemed like I had been gone for you know, eight or eight or or maybe ten hours. And so there was a time dilation effect there. And there was also the uh, interdimensionality aspect of it. And um, after that, I I wrote a story, and over a period of about a year and a half, I sold it to Columbia Pictures and spent two years working with them prior to Star Wars, making, uh, making a screenplay, a script, about the safe space story and the experience, but uh, it never went into principal production because the screenwriter that they hired, they turned my good guy, who was one of the people that briefed me into an assassin, and we could never get the script writer. It was basically a story of hope and a story of benefit for the planet and the earth, and uh, what they were looking to do, or at least he was, was turn it into some kind of a, you know, action thriller with uh, all the negativity uh, coming from the side of the extraterrestrials. And that just certainly wasn't the case because uh, I have never since that time uh, been exposed to or been around individuals or beings, if you would want to call them ETs or angels or uh, extra, with extraterrestrials. That had a greater uh, desire to help the planet than, than these beings did.
1: All right. Well, let me. Uh, let's go back to some the story here. Your 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 experience. Um, I, I had some questions that like really popping into my head, but I didn't want to interrupt you because it was really getting into the story. So um, let's start with you. She said you can touch her, right? Right. But what did yeah. What did she feel like? She felt just like I was touching an
2: ordinary human being, flesh. And, really, And bone, yeah, and absolutely.
1: So she wasn't a projection, and uh, or you know, she uh, didn't feel like any different, like cold or slimy or anything like that. No,
2: absolutely not. And and again, they had she had this uh, radiant aura of energy. And it's interesting if you look at the pictures of uh, some of the early Renaissance paintings and things where they they show uh, you know holy figures with some type of an aura around them. Yeah, a glow. Uh, it might be a representational way of showing uh, what what the uh, emanation was actually like. I, I didn't see a glow around her, but I did definitely experience the uh, vibratory rate um, energy that uh, radiated, radiated from her being in my pro- proximity. And it wasn't just her; it was also uh, other beings on on the planet Jupiter. And then the same same
1: radiant aura. Huh. And then you you went to Laguardia Airport. Um, whereabouts in Laguardia were you? Like, do you have any idea in back? Well,
2: yeah, in, in I materialized right into the main I, right in the main uh, terminal in the uh, passenger uh, ticketing area. And she had told me to go up. And this is a funny part of the story because it's so outrageous. Uh, she told me to go up and ask for a ticket on the Jupiter flight, and that I wouldn't need any money. And so I did, and the. Uh, the ticketing agent uh, gave me the uh, gave me the ticket and indicated that I should go over to walk over to the area where that led to the boarding area. So um, the um, what seemed to be going on, and I and I believe this is true to this day, that that there is another dimension that we're actually uh, capable of interfacing with, if our resonant frequency or our vibratory rate is at that level. Because I could see other people around me, but they were not aware of me uh, in the same sense that I was aware of them. They were uh, going about their day-to-day business as if there was nothing unusual at all going on. And what I was told is that saucers come and go from various points all over the planet on a regular basis, and they simply change their vibratory rate And, of course, uh, you know, in in Star Trek or something, they call it Cloakie or whatever. Yeah. But uh, remember, this occurred, and uh, I wrote it all down back in, like I say, about uh, 1972 was when I wrote the first uh, manuscript that was called Project Safe Space, which is what the book Safe Space is an expansion of. And all of this was in there. It was also interesting. we were now working on a documentary that you and I talked about when we were at the X conference. Yeah. But uh, I happened to see a uh, Hubble telescope shot of uh, Jupiter, and it's an amazing shot because it shows the the beautiful colors of Jupiter—the uh, the greens and the pinks and the uh, lavenders and. Uh, the most incredible pastel energy colors that you've ever seen. So you get a chance for your viewers to go up and look at one of the Hubble uh, images of the planet Jupiter, and you'll see what uh, the sky and everything look like. Yeah. But there, there is this interdimensional aspect to my experience that uh, you know it, it logically defies that definition, especially uh, in the 70s. Now. With them talking about uh, the multiverse and possibly 30 dimensions or more, it begins to make sense, you know. They're also talking about the resonant frequency of things uh, being one of the things that uh, represents the key to entering or departing those kind of uh, energy levels.
1: Now, when you were riding to Jupiter, were there other people on board with you?
2: Yes, there were. And, and uh, it was, people have said, well, did you ask? Uh, did you ask these people a lot of questions, and uh, you know what did they have to say, and that type of thing? And, yeah. And you know, and what what comes to mind on that is that I was so amazed and astounded by this entire experience that I really was listening more than I was asking or talking. Uh, I was just a- absolutely uh, in a raptured state, if I could use that term. That this entire experience was happening to me, it was it was beyond beyond belief. <laughs> so I, I wasn't I wasn't asking a lot of questions of people or things. I was experiencing it, and uh, uh, it it was it was absolutely the uh, most amazing thing that's ever happened in my life. My life has never been the same since.
1: It sounds that way. Now, the briefing aspect of of your visit to Jupiter, what what were some of the specifics of the briefing?
2: well you know there's um there's a part of it that you hear every day now but, but again back in the seventies it was a little different uh, a lot of it had to do with cataclysm catastrophes that uh, would happen to the planet and it had to do with the collapse of our uh,
0: civilized
2: systems you know the electricity the the transit system uh, shortages of food uh, there was there was natural disasters and there were also uh, potential uh, proliferation, uh, war, and uh, insanity disasters. And the briefing that I went to, um, what was imparted to me is that I was just one of a large number of people that were being briefed and had been briefed, and that a team of people would come together uh, and be able to help avert uh, a great deal of of the uh, disasters that were forthcoming, And uh, we were uh, instructed to create models, uh, working models, not just uh, a little plastic model, but an actual creation of a vessel called the Safe Space One, which would be a complete survival vessel and would be capable of demonstrating to people that uh, they could be safe and secure and that mankind uh, could work together. Uh, the story, uh, Safe Space, is about the coming together of a group of people gathered from all over the world, uh, men and women from every walk of life and every uh, occupation, to come together and build a ship as an example of peace and sanity in a time when the world is beginning to come apart. Uh, a time, you know, we're, we're facing times like that now. And um, I think that the timing of the project and the advent of, some of those cataclysmic activities uh, are are right in, in our face. You know, they're coming up
1: very, very suddenly. Now, did they say why they chose you to to invite into this mission?
2: No, they really didn't. Um, I think um, you know, I've often tried to logically understand that.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, I had uh, you know, I had done meditation during the time that I was in the islands and different things. I've had a um, had a lot of very diverse religious background. Um, I tried to understand who I was and what was going on on the planet, why I was here, you know, what is life all about, uh, that type of thing. But uh, I was totally open
0: to the idea of
2: uh, a higher intelligence and and hopefully that mankind had a purpose, uh, you know, other than just partying and enjoying themselves, which was basically what I had been doing for a couple of years.
1: And there were other people uh, from Earth in this briefing with you? Like, did they just bring you in, or was it like a group of people? That no, it was a group up? of people.
2: And uh, part of that, uh, it the seems people. to me that uh, part of the the uh, actual uh, information in the briefing uh, is revealed to me as kind of time goes on. Yeah. And it, uh, if someone, I mean, there's a lot of people out there that are prophesies and they give all of these uh Uh, statements as to what's coming in the future, and that's never been the case with me. I've never tried or attempted to make a single prediction or prophecy. I just know that uh, I agreed to be a part of a team of people that would come together and uh, help uh, benefit the the people here on this planet. And in the course of of, uh, my book being out there, and after it was published, which was the second time, which was in the Safe Space edition, which is there on Amazon, um, they actually uh, have been a number of people that have emailed me and told me about uh, similar experiences that they felt that they might be part of that team. And we've we've been working as a small team now. A number of people from Germany and Bulgaria and oh, wow. different parts of the world have come together, and we're uh, our first step is we're doing a documentary on. UFOs and aliens and what's really going on there, that that really pushes the disclosure line. And that we feel strongly that uh, disclosure needs to happen, and we totally support the uh, ideals and goals, uh, um, not only the X conference, but the UFO conferences and uh, the oh, different yeah. things that people are doing now, like, your, like yourself, Tim.
1: Well, you know, get the word and the truth out there. Yeah, we all got to do our part here, you know, get, get the word out and, and get some answers, you know what I mean? Wow, I could ask you so many questions here about this brief. So you never really ran into, uh, the, did you ever run into any of the other people, like, that you were in the briefing with ever again? Like, you never see them afterwards at all? It sort of just, oh, it was like, after the book came out, then you started hearing from other people?
2: Exactly. And uh, as, you, as you're aware, I've been interviewed on some other talk shows and radio shows, yeah. and after those, I tend to... Uh, and get activity from people on the website. Um, you know, a couple of times I've tried to push the button and uh, really tried to start building the ship. One of the things that I did do is build a 65-foot uh, catamaran sailing vessel after the one we sold in Hawaii and several others as prototype vessels, but I have not been able to pull together the team or the uh, financial resources to build the actual Safe Space One, which is one of the goals of the mission and uh, that's a 350 foot long vessel oh, wow. that uh, has uh, you know, so much living space and room for uh, horticulture aboard and uh, is totally capable of trans- transversing the oceans of the world in safety and harmony with uh, um, a plan to be out there demonstrating that people from all walks of life and all all nationalities can work together. Uh, I just I just can't accept this war and insanity that uh, mankind seems to continuously uh, be involved in.
1: Exactly. Now, have you had since that early '70s encounter? Have you had any more encounters with the extraterrestrials since?
2: You know, I've I've had uh, had an experience where I did uh, see a couple of, of other orbs. Um, there was nothing that has uh, involved the direct communication like occurred at that time, though. And I've often wondered why, and I wish I knew the answer. You know, I'm, I'm totally ready for it again.
1: Yeah, but there's been no communication at all, huh?
2: Well, uh, I've, at times I've thought there's been communication, and part of that has been, um, part of that communication occurred while I was rewriting the book, um, I I thought that I was given more insights. Oh really? I, ch- I chose to write the book as a uh, combination science fiction uh, and factual.
0: You know, there's elements
2: of that book that are uh, that are part of the briefing. Uh, there's also elements uh, that are put in there simply for the for uh,
1: the fun of it. <laughs> <laughs> now, why did that? That was a, that's you actually kind of touched on one of my questions here. So, um. Why did you choose to do it, to, to write the book that way, where it was uh, like a science fiction adventure that was based on your real life experiences? Was it a product of the time and the era where, you know, a UFO book, uh, like a straight UFO book, uh, just didn't have much of a shot of getting out there? or Was it just a, an artistic decision, or what made you decide to write it as fiction?
2: Well, one of the things is that uh, Safe Space is a story of hope, and it's a story of people discovering who they are and what the planet is that here on planet Earth. Like, uh, one of the uh, major premises there is that we live basically on a prison planet. Uh, that Earth is a prison planet and that the leaders are taken from all over the universe have been gathered and placed here and involved in games of, of war and they never really realize who they are or why they are here and they go on lifetime after lifetime uh, that way. Um, the, the fictional aspects of this story uh, were designed to, to put it into a light that's acceptable to the general public. Uh, one of the problems that ufology has, as you're aware, is that we tend to be uh, just a group of people. You know, it's like a niche. And there's a much broader public out there that are interested in the subject. And um, adding the fictional aspects to it uh, was to make it more interesting to those people, even if they're a younger reader, you know, maybe 12, 13, 14 years of age, yeah. that they could enjoy the story too. And also that it doesn't need to be so heavy because, you know, if you look at it from one side, it, it, it's really scary and it's really gloomy.
3: Yeah. But if
2: you look at it from the other side, which is the side that uh, there is uh, intelligent in, individuals or beings out there that are willing to help, us uh, as a civilization. Uh, it's, just, it's an amazing story and it's a fun story. So I tried to combine those elements. Uh, and rather than just making it a straight uh,
1: true story. And um, so this happened in the early '70s, and then you wrote the book a couple of years after that. You said? Yeah, the book uh, Columbia
2: Pictures bought the bought the rights to the story in uh, about 1972, late uh, late. 1972. And it was published as a what I call a, a pre-production manuscript. It wasn't in a traditional book form. It was spiral bound. Yeah. And uh, that's what they they bought. And then after uh, a number of years, I got the rights to that back after Columbia didn't proceed. Uh, so uh, then I went ahead and published it as Yearware in uh, uh, its present form, which is uh, this is a standard uh, trade paperback.
1: And what were you doing in the time between when the book came out and, and like, recently? That's a long period of time. Were you just getting into the UFO field and, and trying to network and stuff and meet other people who were doing the same kind of research? Or what, what were you up to then?
2: Well, actually, I, um, I became involved in um, communications industry. I, I became a television producer. Okay. Uh, worked... Uh, with uh, community television in San Diego, wrote for the one of the San Diego newspapers, uh, published a magazine on gold mining, an adventure, became uh, very involved in uh, making our own uh, adventure documentaries, and also in uh, having a public relations ad agency, which uh, we ran for uh, about 20 years. Oh, wow. During During that time, always wanting to have the uh, ability or the capability to to launch the Safe Space Project, which would involve the creation of the ship itself, and a feature film, uh, which would be a way to uh, put the story out there. You know, a lot has been done in science fiction you know, since the 70s. Yeah. And you know, when I originally wrote it, it was before Star Wars, and uh, Michael Graskoff, the producer of Silent Running, and was the producer that bought the story, and I don't know if you remember that one. It was the little uh, robots Huey, Dewey, and Louie up on a big uh, orbiting space space platform.
1: That might uh, be a little bit before my yeah, time.
2: before your time. Yeah. But I also worked with Douglas Trumbull, who did uh, 2001. Okay. And yeah. Special effects for 2001. Had a real good team. I wished it had gone forward, but it didn't. But it's been the, all those years that passed. It was my goal. To to hold together uh, not only uh, the building of the boat, but the creation of the motion picture. And now with the advent of new digital communications and computers, you know, it gets more and more likely that an individual, rather than a large studio, could possibly do something like that.
1: And so... Well, let's talk a little bit about what you were working on at the X conference. Cause I saw you have uh, you were talking about the Fast Walkers files um, on your website too. So, with, now is it, it's like a video news magazine type of thing on uh, ufology.
2: Well, it's actually uh, it's larger than just ufology. Oh, okay, right? yeah. Ufology is uh, Fast Walker files is the, the concept. There is that there's a number of things, yeah. uh, number of concepts that the world at large needs to know about, to have the facts and the truth about, that there needs to be disclosure about. And the first episode is the one uh, on disclosure, which is uh, dealing with uh, UFOs and uh, ETs and the alien cover-up. So uh, that's number one. Uh, a video magazine in the sense that uh, there would be additional subjects that we would tackle uh, in the years ahead. And we've been working on this particular venture now since... Uh, it, we actually began filming uh, at the UFO conference in Laughlin and then went on to the X conference in Washington. Oh, wow. There where I met you. We interviewed probably uh, close to 50 of the top uh, top guns in the field uh, about, them, about their views on what's going on in the subject. And uh, we're currently editing together those interviews Uh, along with a little bit of uh, narration into a product that will be available, hopefully, by Christmas time.
1: Oh, wow, nice. Nice. And that's like a discussion with the various uh, big names in ufology about what they think is going on?
2: Yeah, exactly. And um, it also tries to present... uh, What we're trying to do is is gather clips and uh, footage and and stills and pictures, and I invite anyone out there that has... uh, any type of uh, pictures or videos or anything to contact us, we'd love to, to uh, have access to put some of that uh, into the feature itself. But uh, we want to, uh, you know, there's just so much going on, like with AJ down in Brazil
3: yeah.
2: and with uh, Jaime Masson and with, uh, you know, even Phoenix, Arizona, they're having sightings on a regular basis. So just all over, it's just the whole field is is just filled with uh, things developing uh, every day. And we're trying to include, uh, prior to the final edit, we'll try to include as much as we can of what is uh, actually taking place.
1: So back to this briefing now, did they show you uh, the history, and no, I could have sworn to say that they showed you the history of the Earth or something like that?
2: Right, and a lot of that is in the Safe Space story. Oh, it is? Oh, yeah, it's... Uh, You'll you'll find that there's some parallels. Zacharias Sitchin stuff where he talks about uh, the um, the species uh, being uh, created here on this planet uh, over 450,000 years ago, and the, the planet has had, had numerous contacts uh, with extraterrestrial different species and coming here for different reasons and motivations. But uh, from my standpoint, the Federation, which is talked about uh, in detail uh, in the Safe Space story, is like the uh, controlling force of power in the universe. They have a very tightly controlled structure, and anyone that deviates or anything that deviates from that control uh, is managed, uh, and sometimes is managed very harshly. So uh, renegades, rebels... People that uh, uh, have their own pioneering spirit and want to do it their way are are not looked upon well by the Federation. And uh, a lot of them were gathered up uh, only the era uh, that the Federation uh, became uh, the dominant power in the universe. They gathered them up and they uh, did reprogramming and that type of thing. But uh, the real tough cases, they brought the planet Earth and they put here, and uh, we remained here, uh, involved in games of uh, peace and war, never knowing who we are or why we're here.
1: Wow! And and did they say that uh, the future will be uh, national catastrophes or war and all that sort of awful thing? And and did they say there was a way to prevent it?
2: Uh, well, actually, the the Federation uh, has a had a. As you get into the safe space story, uh, some of the stuff that came from the briefing is that uh, on a regular basis, uh, civilization is knocked down way below its knees uh, on this planet. Um, This planet is kept in a particular time era and at that particular intelligence era to where they never discover who they are or understand what's out there. And so there's a pre-planned shift of the planet's poles that are are set in motion, uh, almost like a pre-designed computer program that occurs uh, on a regular basis and wipes out out civilizations. Now, uh, in the case of um, the Safe Space book, it talks about a mission being sent in ahead of time because some things had happened and I don't want to get in and tell the whole story. Oh yeah, yeah. And take your whole interview up. <laughs> um, what what happens is the Earth is scheduled for a for a tilt and a uh, reduction of awareness uh, because we're about to discover who we are and, and what's out there, and uh, it's a lot more than just the activity in the local local solar system or the local galaxy. <laughs> Uh, that the discovery is about. And a mission is sent here by the Federation under the command of Regent Vars to actually tilt the planet ahead of time. But Vars discovers uh, a bit about who he really is and decides not to do that, to help the planet instead and to uh, gather a group of people that know what's going on and to change the course and the destiny, not only of planet Earth, but the entire universe.
3: Now,
1: do the extraterrestrials tell you that, that we can prevent this uh, this reset, so to speak, for lack of a better term, or or is this just like a? Is it just just it's just going to happen, or is there any way we can get past that?
2: We can definitely prevent it, and we can definitely work beyond it. And uh, there's absolutely no reason why humanity uh, and not not just humanity on this planet, but humanity at large uh, can't can't have a dynamic and creative future rather than one
1: of desolation and destruction. So you've been in the UFO field for how long? Since like since the early 70s you had the experience, but now you're, would you say you're pretty much like deep into the UFO field? How long have you really been, like, made this, like, a almost, I don't know how, what your hourly, like, what your hour schedule is like, but is it a full-time gig now for you working in the UFO field, or is it, like,
2: Yeah, it pretty much is, and uh, that's only been since I published the book, which would have been in uh, about June of last year. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's only been recently that I've been in the um, UFO field as what I would consider to be a real um, investigator, and that's why shows like yours and the X Conference and the UFO Conference is just an amazing and wonderful uh, experience for me. To get out there and hear and see and meet these these people, you know, and find out the information.
1: And so you must you collected a lot of information. What do you think about the big picture now? Do you think we're going to see disclosure in uh, in our lifetime, or or do you think things are getting so so awful on this planet that disclosure is getting further and further away?
2: Well, and that's a that's a great question. I, I think that uh, it's possible that we'll see. Um, a continuous grim, dribble, uh, disclosure information occurring, um, put it, put out by the powers to be because I think it's with the advent of the Internet, it's impossible to keep this thing covered up. And I think that uh, all of the actions of the people like yourself and uh, Steve Nassett and uh, some of the, uh, Amy Masson and AJ and uh, Jim Morris and all of the, the Robert Dean and, and all the terrific people out there is being taken right to the, uh, to the doorstep of, of everybody on the entire planet, virtually, uh, that has any level of uh, civilization and technology at all. So it's pretty hard to cover it up. And uh, I think that uh, we are going to see uh, dynamic, uh, dynamic change also, though from a political standpoint. I think we face a time when uh, tight political control might throttle everything that we're about to find out.
1: <laughs> yeah, it seems like things are coming to a head here where we're, uh, uh, we're going to find out the answer or all hell's going to break loose.
2: Yeah, and I hope, uh, and I also hope that uh, we're able to survive some of the natural stuff that's coming because uh, there, there is, in my opinion, there's a natural series of events, a course of events that's uh, beginning to take place where we're going to lose a lot of uh, landmass and natural cataclysms, and uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, natural disasters that occur that, that so many of your psychics and your people who are doing the prophetic things have been talking about for a, for a long, long time. I think that's going to also enter into the equation.
1: Now, from what the extraterrestrials told you, do you think that they would uh, take the, the burden of disclosure out of our hands and and do it themselves? or do you think that's going to be dependent upon the Earth governments to disclose?
2: Well, I'd like to believe that they're going to just land a big spacecraft, and you know, uh, or hover one above every major city out there, but I, I just don't... Uh, I don't have anything to, to base that on. Um, I think that there, it has to do with a willingness on our part to do something about it. Um, I don't think that... Uh, you know, it's like occupation of our of a foreign country. If you go in there and you occupy it and you try to provide uh, a lifestyle or a way of life or information by force, then usually the population rejects it. And I think they're very very careful not to do that with us as a species. I think there's the people that are ready for it uh, uh, are are listening with open ears, and I think. Uh, More and more, we're going to see them getting the information. And uh, I think we will see, maybe even countries, uh, that get disclosure. And I think it's going to be very difficult for a country like the United States to continue to ignore it. And that is what's happening now, as you know.
1: Yeah, it seems like some of the other countries in the world are sort of forcing the hand of the United States, like India and uh, Brazil and some of those other countries that are having the ET experiences, they're sort of leaking out more and more information, and and the U.S. government hasn't, they they just sort of ignore it, but it's getting out there to us and stuff, so.
2: Yeah, I also don't think it's any accident that the shuttle program is being shut down, you know. I think that we're under very heavy, strict control. Um,
1: Quarantine?
2: Quarantine, yeah. It was uh, Deardorff and... uh, Maccabee and some of them put off would say, yeah, definitely a quarantine. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that we're dealing with a a large number of uh, races and species, Uh, and I think that they all have their own agenda, and I think there's an over- uh, governing body
1: uh,
2: at many different levels.
1: And what and did they say to you that that, uh, that, that at some point will be allowed into this government. Oh, absolutely.
2: Um, and I think that part of the, the problem and part of the struggle that that has taken place uh, and is taking place now is that there's more than one government, and uh, there there are two forces that are at odds with each other. Really? Absolutely. And I call them the federation and the confederation. Okay. And and I think that, uh, that the federation again as outlined in the book is uh, very determined to control everything, and because you know with control they can uh, predict the pick, predict the future uh, virtually 100 percent with 100 percent control. But that's not necessarily the way uh, an individual being who has the ability to create uh, change and. Uh, experience things at so many different levels necessarily wants to live um, totally control. And I think that's the the struggle uh, that's going on, on on the highest level.
1: And did you get any indication of which side is, is um, you know good or bad, malevolent or benevolent, or is it sort of like they just each have their own agenda and and they just conflict in certain areas?
2: Yeah, I I think it it basically uh, has to do, going back with free will, the individual has the right and the choice of free will, whether or not they want to live uh, in a totally structured uh, manner, where everything is clearly defined and the rules are are the rules, or if they want to have uh, a little room for independent thought and uh, action. And do they let you know if, if, if what's that? <laughs> How about you, Tim? Do you want, you want to live in a totally structured environment, or do you want a little independent thought and action?
1: Oh, man, I'll take the independent thought and action any day of the week.
2: That's why you're on planet Earth, buddy. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs>
1: I guess I'm stuck here, then.
2: Yeah, well, not forever, probably. <laughs> probably not. Yeah. <laughs> not if we can get it, uh, get it in gear and... Uh, Get free of the box.
1: Yeah, well, you know, we're we're all sort of like pulling on the cart here, and hopefully we can get it up the hill.
2: It's like a big video game in a way. How so? Yeah, well, it's a virtual reality game that we've got ourselves involved in there.
1: That's for sure. And, and then we get
2: lots of options and choices, right?
1: Oh, all kinds of choices. Did they... Did the extraterrestrials? Did they give you any indication if uh, if they're in contact with the U.S. government at all, or is it is it sort of just to an individual uh, citizenry type of thing?
2: Yeah, I I didn't I didn't get an indication of that, but you know my my research since that time, um, I can give you uh, my opinion.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's valuable. You know,
2: my opinion is that they've definitely been in contact with uh, our government. And I think that there's substantial documentation. You know, if oh, yeah. individual wants to look, uh, the great, great presentations that we heard at the X conference. You know, uh, so much proof. And um, it, you know, on on the black vault, there's solid documents there that the person wants to go to the go to the. Uh, problem or take the time to do the investigation themselves, you know, they can find out that uh, the government has thousands of pages of documents dealing with UFOs uh, within its own internal structure.
1: And in, uh, in, the, in the, after the early 70s, you, you knew this ET phenomenon was real. Um, so in the last 30 years, I think personally, from what I, my research and everything, has been that there's been a conditioning process going on. You've probably seen it firsthand. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And you think, uh, well, what do you think of that? Do you think it's being, it's, it's, it's turning out successful and that it's, uh, it's getting the people ready for disclosure?
2: Well, I, I think that people are much more ready for disclosure. And, and one of the things that uh, people that have small children and watch the cartoon channels um, they see that uh, the cartoons, uh, in many, many cases now, uh, are made up of not necessarily all humanoid uh, critters, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. there's, a, there's a variety of uh, alien-looking uh, forms there that uh, the younger generation have been exposed to. And um, as you say, I've watched for 30 years and, and uh, all the different movies and the different things that come out. And I think that the... Uh, that the planet is being conditioned to accept the reality of, a, of a, another uh, level of uh, species out there that has been interacting with us for millions of years.
1: And how do you think the public reaction would be to something like that if, if and when they're told?
2: I don't know if you can uh, if you can just use a blanket. Uh, number or figure on that, but I I think that uh, a lot of it depends if we're told that we have uh, uh, a space-based enemy who's uh, been abducting our our people and are are in the process of trying to take over the planet or dominate the planet, uh, then I think that the reaction will be one of fear and uh, a great deal of hesitation, um, on the other hand, if we're told and it's kind of the feeling that you get from I the sun, that he feels that there's a there's a m- benevolent uh, intelligence out there that's seeking to uplift and help the planet. Uh, if it comes across that way, if it's presented that way, and if in reality it is that way, then I think the reaction would be pretty darn good.
1: Yeah, I think there's, a, there's an inherent danger with disclosure because... Uh, you know, if it's disclosed by the government, we're at the mercy of, of their intent. So if they're looking to increase their, their defense budgets and what have you, they could easily say that we were uh, under attack by the extraterrestrials. And when, when to the people who aren't as educated as you and me on the subject, they might buy it hook, line, and sinker when we might know it's not true at all. So there's a, there's a danger there, don't you think?
2: Yeah, there's a huge danger there. As Michael Sala said, uh, $1.7 trillion a year is being put into the black budgets, um, you know, which is a just incredible uh, amount of money. And uh, I, I doubt that uh, we have any idea how far that money has gone to advance the level of technology and sophistication that our, that our governments now possess. Um, I I would say that we already have the teleportation devices. We are also uh, already involved interdimensionally with planets and different parts of the system, uh, not lo- not only our local system, but uh, some of the far-reaching galaxies out there. And, uh, and I think that you know we're already there, and the governments are are doing those things, and uh, the population is last to know.
1: And um. All right, Ron, I saw this on your website, I was looking at it, the virtual concept um, of the Genesis 2. Right. Why don't you tell me a little bit about that, because that was pretty interesting. I thought, uh, I thought I thought that might be something that doesn't get talked about much, but the whole uh, ET phenomenon thing, so what, what's that all about?
2: Well, Genesis 2 is the idea that uh, a group of people could come together and create a community-styled uh, environment somewhere in the world. Uh, tr- ideally, uh, tropical islands always appeal to me, and I've lived on <laughs> some islands. But because there you generally have abundant uh, natural uh, gifts, you know, which are like the soil will grow, uh, wonderful food and vegetables. You've got rain usually, and you've got fresh water. And uh, it's the idea to bring together a community of people who would actually uh, develop uh, a community somewhere in the world, and that would be called Genesis 2, and there they would have education. Uh, That would, you know, would not be selective education. (laughs) You'd you'd get the actual facts. Uh, You'd also have uh, advanced structures and technologies. Uh, Over the course of the years, having lived on boats, uh, where you had to be totally self-sufficient, you know, there's... There's water generation, equipment, machinery, there's wind energy, there's solar energy. There's so many non-polluting, wonderful, uh, wonderful ways to live that we just don't practice when we live in these cities and we live uh, the way we live now in the traditional Western civilization. And uh, I've, uh, I've experienced the fact that people can live... Uh, at a different harmonic out there and the, the food doesn't have to be chemically sprayed and uh, you know the soil can doesn't have to be depleted of all its nutrients um, I, I think there's things that can be done uh, in the, in all the sciences including uh, the natural uh, medications and things I don't think we have to to die at uh, you know, 73 years of age I think that there's life extension and And a community that comes together that uh, has the right type of people can bring all those ingredients together and uh, have a wonderful way of life as a model that shows that other people can do it as well. It could could happen here uh, even in our own cities.
1: Now, um, this is sort of an odd question really, I guess, but you probably get it a lot. Um, After your encounter... Did you tell who did you tell uh, your family or your friends or anything right away or did you sort of keep it to yourself
2: No actually I I did tell a couple of people and for uh, for a couple of weeks it was like uh, my feet weren't even touching the ground I had a very difficult time re- adjusting to the reality and I began to write it, write all this down and uh, I actually wrote like a 95 or 100 page manuscript uh, within a period of Six or seven months there, Oh, wow. and then published it, uh, and then of course after publishing it, uh, on a limited scale, was distributed to bookstores, and uh, a producer happened to pick it up and, and read it, and, and then Columbia bought it. So um, I told uh, I told quite a few people, and, and of course a lot of people thought I was nuts, and I really didn't care because I was so so convinced of it yeah. of its reality. Yeah. It was so real to me, just like it's real to me now, even after, uh, you know, three, three, four years. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, what we, now we, well we, were, we were corresponding um, over the past few months, and you were in Germany. What, what, what were you doing over in Germany?
2: Well, it's part of the documentary project. Um, as a result of um, the book being published, we, uh, we connected up uh, a group of people, which is fairly small but uh, hard-working, and we've uh, bought motion picture equipment. We've bought the latest HD cameras and um, lighting and microphones, and we went out and we began to do the recording of uh, the different uh, experts on the field of ufology because we felt like this is is probably the single item that uh, is suppressed... uh, Suppressing most of the change on the planet. So I went to Germany. We had, we shot the interviews. We went over there to shoot some more footage and to uh, do some more interviews and to work with the uh, one of the uh, senior editors on the project. Who's a very interesting fellow. He's a ex uh, Russian MiG pilot. Wow. Who's also uh, his name is Stoyan. And he's in mm-hmm. Bulgaria. He came to Germany for a little over a month, and my. Uh, Associate producer there, uh, Bruce Jessup in Germany, uh, has a facility, and we uh, we put together a set where we're in teleprompters, and we have uh, some of the on uh, on set stuff. Uh, another associate, Pete, is a musician from London. He's also doing some editing, and he's doing the camera work. Uh, I have a a son. Uh, Anthony, who's in Phoenix, and he has uh, been shooting and uh, helping on the project as well. He was a cameraman. You met him yep, yep. at the X
1: conference. Yeah, he's a great guy.
2: But uh, Germany was about uh, 30 days of uh, working on the script and and developing the project, and editing and shooting. And uh, there's still more to do.
1: <laughs> oh wow! Now did Bruce and and uh, I think so. The, guy, the other guy's name guy, was Pete Stoyan, and, uh, and Stoyan. Did they all have the same experience that you did, or did they just read the book and wanted to help out and join up with the Safe Space project?
2: Right. Uh, Actually, uh, Bruce originally connected up after I did Art Bell on Coast to Coast. Yeah. Uh, He gave me a call, and uh, he said that he had... uh, He saw the picture of the vessel, the Safe Space 1, which is on the cover of the book. He said that uh, it just struck a chord with him. He'd seen the the ship before uh, in... uh, He he studied uh, a lot of the Eastern meditation yoga for over 25 years and is also very, very knowledgeable on the whole ufology field and a lot of the other fields which uh, the Safe Space uh, Project wants to get into, which is alternative health and uh, a lot of the uh, alternative energy and and the different approaches. Bruce has a a very well-read and... uh, experienced individual in all those fields. And he kind of, like, was the uh, group leader that pulled together a number of the other individuals to come and help. And it uh, was at his place there in Lubeck, Germany, that we uh, have been working here the last month.
1: Well, Germany must be nice in the summertime like that,
2: huh? Oh, it's beautiful over there. It's I right bet. on the uh, Baltic Sea, Lubeck is, and uh, it, uh, it rains there about... Uh, every day or every other day, and the weather's nice and mild. Yeah, beautiful city.
1: Now, after your encounter, did you ever have any run-ins with the government, men in black type situations, or threats or anything like that? You know, I
2: never did, and uh, part of it probably was because uh, most of the the time I was pretty silent about the project, other than going through the period of time with... uh, with Columbia Pictures and uh, that whole experience. And then a couple of times I decided I would build some prototype vessels and uh, always at the back of my mind was the desire to uh, to build a large ship or to do a movie. But uh, no, I've never, never had any men in black experiences.
1: Well, that's that good. To say. I know. Yeah. 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 And after this first Fast Walkers file, uh, files, um, project on, on ufology. What are some of the other topics you guys are planning on covering? Do you a sequel plan already in yeah, mind? or
2: I think we're going to look at chemtrails. Oh, wow. It, uh, is another one that uh, is going to, uh, to be addressed. Uh, alternative health. Uh, there's, a, there's an amazing amount, as you know, I'm sure, of uh, alternative medicine out there. Oh, yeah. Uh, that uh, that we just don't know about. The alternative energy. I worked with uh, a little bit with a, a fellow by the name of Robert Cook that has designed uh, a motor that produces the energy that would uh, drive not only a vessel like the say, Space One but also a spacecraft uh, without any fuel at all. And it's a, he's a he's a dynamic inventor and uh, has a lot of. Uh, Knowledge not only of uh, spin dynamics, uh, he has a he has a prototype uh, engine that will produce power to power everything from uh, generators to uh, saltwater desalinators, uh, power spacecraft. Uh, um, but uh, that's the Cook engine, and that's one of the devices that we want to uh, promote and uh, to actually create a prototype of.
1: Wow. And let me let me throw it back a little bit to your encounter. Cause I got a couple other like follow, little follow up questions here. Um, you said you said you said you thought it felt like about eight or nine hours.
2: Yeah, at least that. Yeah. Did you eat anything? We went, out, we went to the briefing. I Also went out to the beach and spent some time at the beach.
1: Okay. Yeah, I remember you said just, that.
2: Just enjoying the the phenomenal energy and the environment there that was there on the planet Jupiter.
1: Um, and was uh, was it like a city there with, by the beach? Or
2: yeah, there sure was. It was. Uh, people have asked me about the buildings and the structures, and I, I would just have to say they were uh, made of a white uh, kind of like composite material. It appeared. I don't think it was uh, what you, it would be concrete. But again, I didn't pay a lot of attention to it. I was more uh, more involved in just uh, listening and experiencing uh, than looking at studying the architecture. And you didn't, you didn't
1: talk to any of the other people, like the humans that were there, you just didn't, were they in as much awe as you were about what was going on, or did they seem sort of just like old hat to them? They, what was their reaction? Have you even notice it?
2: You know, I, d- I didn't even notice it. Uh, my time was spent basically with uh, uh, the, uh, the person that was my guide, and... Uh, I, I, in the book, I, I call her Kalina, uh, as far as uh, a name goes, but uh, she was uh, she was there with me throughout the entire experience, and uh, it was almost like, uh, although I was part of a larger group, I had a, a person that was assigned to uh, make sure that uh, the knowledge or the information was imparted to me, and, uh, you know, there was... Most of it was just a pure amazement, Tim, of me oh, yeah. trying to accept that this reality was even occurring, and uh, that extended even to the time out on the beach. You know where I said, you know, this is, I know this is happening, but it's so just incredible. I just <laughs> oh, I can't. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what. To,
1: yeah, it would be. It must be pretty startling. You must have been just, just trying to figure out what was. Yeah, I can't. Even, I can't even imagine. You know, I wish it would happen to me.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I wish it would know. too. <laughs>
1: See if you can pull some strings for me, you know? Yeah. I'd be mean, more than happy to take a trip. Right. Did, you eat, did you eat at all while you were there? Did you go to the bathroom? Like, your everyday type of thing. Did you do anything like that while you were there, or was that all sort of, like, pushed to the side?
2: Yeah, not, not to my uh, recollection, Yeah.
1: No. So no eating or anything like that? Yeah, no. And That's a good question,
2: though. Again, it seemed like, you know, there was a time dilation. But... Uh, and it seemed to me that it was eight or nine hours, but again, in reality, it was thirty-three minutes. The reason and I knew that when I came back aboard, I looked at my clock.
1: And no one. And was there anyone else on the boat when you left?
2: Yes, there was. Uh, my my partner was on the boat, and he was still asleep. And when I got back to the boat, he was uh, like pounding on the my day door, calling my name. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, she, she had told me that there was somebody
1: uh, looking for had,
2: you. Yeah, one of me.
1: Did uh, they give you any indication about the other alien races that we've heard about, like the Greys or the Reptilians or any no, other sure stuff? sure didn't. Uh, Did you didn't mention didn't, anything like that? Uh, no,
2: except uh, that I know that that, that there had been a lot of, of uh, contact with this planet from other races, uh, from the local and... Uh, nearby sectors, um, which, which kind of goes back to some of the stuff that's in the book, uh, has to do with uh, what Sitchin would call the neophim, um, or uh, the Bible talks about them coming here, and the engineering of the human species uh, as biological uh, entities or servants or, or workers, you know, to work in the gold mines to extract the, uh, the gold from the planet Earth which appears to be very valuable to uh, space spacefaring uh, civilizations.
1: Yeah. Now, from just your own research and general opinion and type of stuff, what do you think of the abduction phenomenon uh, in general?
2: Well, I think there's um, there's definitely uh, a very real component there. I think that uh, a lot of people have been abducted. I, I think that uh, many of them have been abducted uh, against their will. Uh, I guess by definition abduction would be against your will, but I mean, um, in in interviewing uh, the one fellow, uh, Stephen Jones there, uh, at uh, Laughlin, he said he turned from a person who was an abductee to a a participator, that that he actually participated willingly after his first couple trying to upgrade the human uh, human being as a species for its own good. So I think there's probably uh, some of that going on, and I, and I think that there also has been in the past uh, some of it going on where it wasn't necessarily uh, for our own good.
1: Yeah. Is there anything that the, that you're looking for for help, or how can people help out with this movement and, 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 and help, help get things going here?
2: Well, what we're really working on now, Tim, is the Fast Walker files uh, the documentary on disclosure. And uh, we really support the uh, disclosure movement on a worldwide basis. And we invite individuals, uh, if they have any clips, uh, UFO clips, or if they have access to stills of UFOs that uh, they would allow us to use within the context of the documentary, please get in touch with us. And also, if they have uh, interest in the overall project, uh, there is no, uh, no charge to uh, join or become a Safe Space team member. Basically, it's just uh, an agreement that uh, you support the goals of uh, disclosure and uh, work towards a better planet. And some of that is on the website. so.
1: And give the URL in case, cause sometimes you know yeah, the empty tree. It's
2: www.safespaceproject.com. S-A-F-E-S-P-A-C-E project, P-R-O-J-E-C-T dot com.
1: When do you expect that first uh, Fast Walkers Files thing to be out?
2: We want to have our documentary finished and on the market as a DVD uh, prior to the Christmas season. So um, we should, uh, hopefully we'll be looking uh, October, November.
1: Who are some of the names in ufology that you that you have in this in the Fast Walker Files in the first edition here?
2: Well, there's a there's a wide variety of uh, different individuals, but uh, Robert Command Sergeant Robert uh, Robert Dean is in there. Uh, Michael Sala, uh, who is uh, very involved in the exopolitic uh, movement, also uh, Alfred Weber, uh, Dolores Cannon, uh, Dr. Len Horowitz, who is a very interesting talking about population control. Some of the, the things that are that are going on. Uh, Wendell Stevens, Jim Mars, uh, Sean David Morton, uh, who's a interestingly uh, very prophetic uh, individual. Uh, Stephen Jones, who is an abductee from London. Uh, H. A. Gavard. Uh, Charles Hall who uh, and Paula Harris uh, who have a very, very interesting story told told. I mean, the son from Mexico, Dr. Richard Boyland. Uh, also, Stephen Bassett who uh, put on the ex-conference, uh, did a great job of uh, it. Uh, Monsignor Geraldo Balducci of course. Also, he uh, covered the entire press conference which, as you know, had a a large number of individuals but uh, in-depth interviews with James Deardorff, uh, Bruce McAbee. Um, I've got uh, some clips. Uh, we're in the process of, uh, of editing so some of these names I think I'm giving you ones that will actually uh, be in the documentary. Stanton Friedman, uh, did a good interview with Stanton, John Greenwald, of Black Vault. Um,
1: so you got quite an international contingent of people in this thing. With um, AJ, he's from Brazil, and Jaime uh, Vazquez from Mexico, and Corrado Balducci's from Italy, and uh, Dr. Michael Salas from Australia originally. So that, that's quite a it's quite a worldwide scope of uh, experts here for this. That sounds pretty interesting.
2: Yeah, we we wanted to uh, we wanted to give it a broad international approach because um, you know the UFO phenomenon, as you know, is. Uh, from the ad standpoint of the average American, we don't really get to hear much unless we happen to tune in to Peter Jennings, you know? Yeah. <laughs> we still didn't hear much. I know, we didn't get much from him anyway. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we've got, a, we've got a good list of uh, very dynamic and informed people who uh, have really made, uh, made it their way of life to investigate this phenomenon and uh, bring the information forward.
1: And... um how about for a final question, what would, you, what would you say to the young generation like myself, I'm only 26 years old, you know, the future, I'm not sure if it looks bright or if it looks dark, but, you know, what kind of advice would you give for someone who's just beginning in the field and, and, and starting to chase after these answers?
2: Well, I think, Tim, what you're doing is, is, is terrific, that you're actually uh, providing an information conduit out there. Uh, using the most modern uh, technology in the world, the internet, to uh, to take uh, and bring the truth uh, to to people who are interested in hearing about it. So I would I would encourage uh, everyone, uh, you know, to to uh, ask the questions. Just don't uh, just don't accept the uh, standard dribble of denial that's coming out. Uh, to look beyond the, the surface and uh, to get the information firsthand, uh, to search things out for themselves, and um, to to try to tune tune in on what's going on on an international basis. And that's not necessarily easy. We thank God for the Internet.
1: That's for sure. And the book is Safe Space, and where can get that? Amazon?
2: You can get it on Amazon, and uh, you can also get it from the publisher, which is iUniverse.com. Okay but uh, Amazon's got a good price on it and uh, good delivery times. And
1: nice. Amazon. And your website's safespaceproject.com, right?
2: You bet, safe space project.com Hey, I really admire you for uh, putting your show together and your website. I've been on your site, and uh, it's an interesting site, and uh, look forward to it and see what you're doing with this next series of interviews.
1: Well, I want to thank you very much for being a part of it, probably a story that I haven't really told I might have mentioned it in the first uh, interview but I think it's worth mentioning here for the, in the second one for the people that are listening at home is that uh, when I showed up in Washington and for the second next conference this past April I think you were probably one of the first three people I met and you were ama- and you and your son and you guys were amazingly kind and generous and accommodating to me the whole weekend and the UFO feel is it's very cliquish and uh, it's very, you know, tribal, as Michael Sales said to me once when we were talking about it. And uh, you guys really opened up your arms to me and, and sort of, like, helped me on an awful lot. So I really appreciate that. I'll always remember that. So, you know, I was, when I started putting you into this list of people to be part of the first uh, series of interviews for the website, you were definitely on the top of the list and I want to thank you for for you know giving me all this time to talk about about your experience and your work and your upcoming film and I'm really looking forward to seeing it and I'm sure the people who are listening to the interview at home are definitely interested in seeing it
2: hey well it's been a it's been a privilege and a pleasure to work with you and I and I know it wasn't an easy job at the X conference because uh, you were trying to get your interviews done and and everybody was uh, was uh, trying to do what they had to do and man their tables and and make their talks. But uh, you're a pleasure to work with, and I, I wish you the very best of luck, and I want to thank you for having me as a guest.
0: Well, thanks a lot. That does it for this week's edition of Banal of America Audio, Season 1. I want to thank Robert Miles for sitting down and talking to us. also want to thank Leslie and Chiron from com for your continued help and support with the website, and, of course, I want to thank all you great listeners out there. Thanks for uh, downloading the episodes, listening to them, spreading the word. If you like what you hear, you know, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your loved ones, put it up on your blog or your website. And, uh, you know, keep the, keep the word going around here for Benall of America Audio Season 1. We got some big things planned, some great guests upcoming. Next week, Greg Bishop. He's the author of the critically acclaimed book, Project Beta. It's the story of Paul Benowitz. Everybody was talking about it last spring. It's still going around. Everybody was raving about this book. And, crazily enough, Greg Bishop will be joining us here at Benall of America Audio Season 1 next week. Part 1 of a marathon session. Three hours plus that we got with Greg Bishop. We're going to run the first half next week. The second half the week after that. So come by next week on October 15th to binallofamerica.com for Been All of America audio season one. Until then, this is Tim and all signing off.